welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, just returned back from a real long trip in Europe. Uh, did a lot of coaching seminars. Finally finished up uh, that seminar that night uh, that I actually recorded the last podcast in Dublin. Uh, was a great group of archers. Uh, some Surely some passionate archers there. Uh, it was an awesome night. And, uh, you know, as you can tell, I'm probably sounding a little bit more hoarse than normal. And that's because, once again, uh, every single time I fly, I manage to get some kind of a respiratory cold. And once again, I've got it. So I'm a little bit stopped up. Uh, but I guess I'm just thankful that I made it home. Um, I forget what it was. I think it was seven or eight flights in 11 days. So. Uh, it was a lot of flying and uh, you know it was pretty fun because uh, I did get to take my family with me Um, they got to visit some family in England but uh, we also got to spend I guess uh, two days in France Uh, Sharon came with me and then uh, I had a one-day break kind of in the middle of it all so I took uh, Sharon and little dud to Stonehenge that was pretty cool uh, to go there and get to see that and learn about the history of it. And uh, then I guess I was right back at it there trying to get things finished up over in Ireland. But uh, I've got some pretty cool topics that I want to share with you guys for this podcast. Um, I've got a couple off the website, some that had, uh, stood out to me, some questions that had been sent in that I'd like to go over. And, uh, and then I'm going to talk about uh, a few things of my own that I'd like to discuss with all you out there. So to start out here, um, we're actually going to answer a question that I get quite often from people who, you know, feel like, um, well, I guess years ago, a lot of hunters got used to um, higher let off bows, you know, bows that had a little bit bigger valley, Um, you know, you had a lot less holding weight. And, uh, you know, it kind of creates you to be a little bit lazy kind of when you pull your bow back. You want to just be able to sit back there and not really worry about pulling pulling hard against the, the cam of the bow. And a lot of bows have, you know, that seems like the let-offs just seem to go higher and higher and higher. So sometimes when companies change cams slightly from year to year, you know, people want uh, the feel of one that they had that maybe was a little bit easier, or also sometimes people decide to shoot a little bit more poundage. So in turn, they want to have a little bit either higher, uh, higher let off, or they want to have a higher valley or a longer valley, I should say. Um, so I had a question come in about, you know, how do I increase the valley of my cam? Um, and to be honest, one thing that I used to do with this, because um, several years back, um, there's actually some some cams that I had on my hunting bows that were a little bit more aggressive than what I liked, at least at my draw length at 31 inches. It seemed like the valley was fairly short. 
So what I did was um, I went ahead and measured the overall diameter of my cable servings where they wrap around the cams as you draw the bow back. Um, that overall diameter has a big effect on how the bow feels for let off as well as your valley. So what I did was I measured the factory um, diameter that came on there and you know and I gave that number to I called winner's choice told them I said hey I want to um, I want to want you to build me some cables with a slightly smaller diameter than what I have on here for stock and what that does is when you decrease the size the overall size of your cables you're going to increase your valley and you're also going to increase your let off which lowers your holding weight um, and you can do that several ways you can either do that by decreasing the amount of strands um, in the string itself or some some types of materials um, that you use is going to have a little bit smaller diameter than um, what a factory uh, string material like for example um, 8125 as a string material like BCY 8125 it's going to have a different diameter is like say a BCYX or a 450. Um, each of those types of string materials or fibers is going to naturally have a slightly different diameter. So if you build a string that's 22 strands for example or if you build a string that's 28 strands for example you know they're going to have slightly different diameters um, with those different materials. Likewise there's also different types of end serving material. Um, you've got Halo, you've got 3D, you've got 2S, you've got number 62 braid which comes in a variety of diameters. So you know a lot of factories they serve their cables with like a 62 braid with like a standard point point uh, two one like twenty one thousandths or uh, or an eighteen thousandths. Whereas if you get a custom set of strings and cables made and you go ahead and tell them uh, you know hey use like a halo 15 thousandths or a, or even a 10 thousand you can use a smaller um, or even 3d um, I've used that on my cable several times too um, it'll make the overall diameter smaller and it'll increase your valley it'll increase um, your let off and it's going to make that cam a lot easier to manage. Um, and likewise, sometimes if you have a bow and you really like how it feels from the factory, and then all of a sudden you have a shop give you a set of strings and cables that they've made, or you know a set that they might have on on the wall, all of a sudden the bow slightly feels a little bit different. Sometimes it might feel better, sometimes it might not, and that's going to be because the replacement strings and cables that they gave you may not be the same as what comes on the bow so maybe pay attention to that um, and if you really like how your bow feels you know it might be really worth um, if you get a set of custom strings and cables you know when you call in make mention of that just say I really like how this feels um, I'd like to get a set of strings and cables but if you could uh, please make sure the overall diameter of the cables is the same as factory I like how this feels but uh, there's a few good tips for you when it comes to cam feel uh, the next thing I've got here is uh, I got a sent a question from Mike Cage 
Um, and he says uh, this past winter, um, when he was shooting, he had a high arrow every now and then. So he's asking, is this because of my front shoulder uh, collapsing? And, you know, I've talked about this a couple times in the past. Um, typically on most bows, if you creep, your arrow is going to go high. Um, you know, and this is a problem that you see with a lot of top target archers, especially once you get into uh, the finals. You know, you get into the situations where there's a lot more at stake. Uh, archers start to get a little tight. Um, they start to, you know, maybe creep a little bit or not have as much pressure against the back wall as what they want. Or um, a mistake that I've made many times in competition is because you're wanting to slow your movement down, you tell yourself, um, okay, I need to get solid, I need to get solid. And a lot of times when you tell yourself you want to solidify your aim, then what you'll do is you will compress that front shoulder back against your spine a little bit. And what that does is when you move that re that front scapula back to where it compresses against your spine, if you are a shooter that shoots with proper form and have a proper dynamic pull, then if your front shoulder is compressed back against your spine, then what ends up happening is you don't have that freedom in your back to have a full range of pull. Um, it's I guess it's kind of hard to describe it when I'm having to do it over a microphone. Normally, uh, when I'm in a class, I'll actually let people put their hands on my back, and I can show real easily um, how that front scapula positioning can alter the amount of range that you have in your back half as you try to pull through your shot. But yes, if you do collapse your front shoulder or if your front shoulder creeps high, you're going to have a much higher tendency of creeping. Another thing that's important to consider with this is with uh, two cambos and hybrid cambos, um, this is why it's important that during your, your setup process that you actually test your bow with creep tuning. So creep tuning is when you pull hard against the wall and then you slightly let up just a little bit and then try to make your shots where you're not pulling really hard against the back wall. It's easiest to do this with a shooting machine, but what you'll find is depending on the position or the synchronization of your cams, when you slightly let off the wall a little bit and shoot, you can actually, by changing the positioning of your cams, you can start to reduce the margin of difference with your impact as you creep. So typically what we find is that on a hybrid cam or a two cambo system, by having the top cam touch the cable or the control cable slightly before and this is pretty minimal it's very small maybe a half a twist sometimes a full twist but by having that top cam touch slightly before the bottom cam then you're going to start to reduce the amount of margin that you have with that creep so you're going to need to do a little bit of homework on that you know it's not something that i can just tell you this is exactly where you need to have set 
um, it's something that you really need to test for yourself because different cam systems um, perform a little bit differently with this. And uh, this is actually something that I know that I talked about back on a previous podcast with Randy Ulmer. So if you haven't listened to the previous podcast, make sure you go back and listen through them all. Regardless, of, you know, I say this every time, but I think it's important. Regardless of whether you're a hunter, a target archer, um, you know, no matter what kind of game you shoot, you need to try to to take the information that we're talking about on these podcasts at a given time and try to just slightly modify what we're saying so that it relates to the type of archery that you are trying to get better at. You know, we might be talking about, um, you know, how to, how to slightly tune the spine of an arrow as a bow hunter to get better groups, but ultimately it's still a bow and it's still an arrow. And, uh, if you're a target archer, those same principles apply. So make sure you go back and you look at it that way. The next question I have here is from Chad Gerard. He said, I was wondering if you can give me a hand. I'm looking at purchasing some ACE arrows, but I'm having trouble choosing a spine and a point weight. He says that he shoots an Alpha Elite at 61 pounds, uh, 28.5 inch draw. He says that... Uh, that he's looking at an arrow at 28 inches, but he could also shoot an arrow as short as 26 and a half. And he says that the spine chart is giving him options from anywhere between a 40, 470 arrow to a 400 arrow, depending on how he moves his bow, you know, from 55 to 60 pounds or 60 to 65 pounds. And then also depending on that length of arrow, because it's varying, you know, he can shoot anything from a 26 and a half to the 28 inch arrow. So he's asking what I would suggest for the spine and for the length and for the point weight. So, uh, this is a pretty long, complex, um, question, but it's one that I get all the time. And I continue to kind of answer the same on this. When people send me emails, asking me exactly what arrow to use the first thing that i'm going to do is look at an arrow chart um but you know when you look at an arrow chart there's going to be several factors there that you better know and that's going to be you need to know what weight bow you want to shoot you need to know what arrow length you're going to shoot and then from there you need to have an idea of what point weight you would prefer to shoot but then also uh you know i like to be able to to have control on changing that point weight to kind of fine tune that arrow i'm going to take a quick drink of water here and uh and i'll continue on with what i'm talking about all right so when it comes to arrow length I personally like to have my arrows cut right at about the burger button hole. Um, I don't like shooting arrows too far behind my hand. You know, it's just I've seen way too many instances where people have a damage knock or they've hit the back of the shaft and forgot to check it and you end up shooting or people dry fire a bow or a cable break by accident and you end up putting an arrow through your hand. I actually did this years ago. Um when I had a cable break at a 3D shoot, and this was back when I was shooting a two inch overdraw, 
and a really short arrow uh, part of the arrow went into my hand and you know and I've got several friends that have done the same thing so I kind of just started cutting my arrows at about the length of the burger buttonhole or the rest hole on my riser that way my arrow is at least over the top of my hand this is especially true if you're a bow hunter don't don't have the broadhead behind your arm behind your hand just for safety reasons alone from there you really you need to know uh what poundage bow you're going to shoot you know that's not something the chart gives you a variance but you need to know what you're comfortable with what poundage feels the best what holding weight feels the best for you what weight you can manage you know one thing that i think a lot of people are are failing to do here lately is shoot a draw weight that is manageable for them for the entire length of a tournament you know i see this a lot with women and kids they can shoot they can pull a bow fairly easy uh, for the first 25 or 50 arrows but then once you start seeing them later in the day they get close to that 100 arrow mark you know at a feta and they start having to really lift the bow really high or push the bow and pull the bow at the same time to get it back and I just really think that being able to control a weight from arrow one to your last arrow is what you have to do as a target archer in order to to have the best possibility of performing as good at arrow uh, 144 as arrow 1. If you start to have to draw your bow differently by the end of the tournament, then you run a huge risk of also altering your form and your alignment as well. So you want to be able to shoot a bow to where you can take the bow from your side, lift it up, ultimately point the arrow the tip of the arrow right at the target that you're wanting to hit and then by keeping your front arm forward you need to be able to draw your release hand back until you hit the back wall of the cam if you're having to push and pull the bow at the same time then chances are you're going to have a hard time properly aligning your front shoulder each and every shot it also at times affects your front grip so shoot a weight where you can lift the bow from your side point the the point of the arrow on the target you want to hit and then draw your release hand back to your face as a bow hunter this is critical as well because a lot of people try to force themselves into shooting more weight than what they can control and what happens there is once something starts you know, once the heat of the moment is there and you're nervous or if you've been sitting all day and you're cold or if you're in a seated position, you can't necessarily stand up as a hunter to draw your bow. If something comes in fast while you're while you're sitting down, you need to be able to pull that bow back without any hesitation at all. And that's only going to happen if you're shooting a weight that you can manage. So choose the weight before you select your arrow that you want from there you know it's always nice to select um, or to I guess choose to shoot a point weight that's on the higher side of things I'm a big believer in uh, front of center 
on your arrow having a high front of center. So with that, I choose arrows, or I choose a point that is going to give me a higher FOC. For example, on my hunting arrows, I'm a big believer in shooting like the heavy brass inserts, which typically around 50 grains. And then that allows me to shoot a 100 grain head, which gives me a total weight of 150 grains in the front, which is great for increasing your FOC. Plus, I'm a, you know, I found that on most of the broadheads in the industry, the 100 grain heads um, are a little bit more compact and they're a little bit more aerodynamic friendly. So, you know, I like to I like to be able to choose a point that's somewhat heavier. Now on my target arrows, I've pretty much always tried to stay around the 120 grains. Um, you know, that's a, a full length tungsten point for either X10 Pro Tour um, or when I'm shooting ACEs or Pro Fields, um, I typically like to have um, the screw on bulge points that have the long insert that go into the shaft and then you have a huge variety of what type of screw on bulge points that you have. This gives you the option to take an arrow that you think is matched perfectly for your bow and then just unscrew those tips and change your tip weight by 10 grains, you know, either more or less to really give you an idea of how that arrow is reacting to the way that your bow is set up. Um, you know, 470 to a 400 spine is ultimately three spine categories. You know, that's going to be, at least in the, the ACE arrow that you're talking about here, Chad, that's going to be a, either a 400, a 430, or a 470. So um, really just set your mind on what you want to shoot for poundage. Uh, go ahead and decide what length arrow you need by marking an arrow from uh, the back of the arrow shaft right to where it uh, comes to a stop at the center of your burger buttonhole. Uh, and that should, depending on the type of arrow rest you have, that should give you, you know, a little bit of overhang as well um, over your launcher. And then uh, from there, see where it takes you. And then once you've picked your arrow and you go out, you know, like I said, I really like to to fine tune my arrows by changing my point weight 10 or 20 grains up or down from where I think it should be. And then you can also, um, for example, say you have a, say you select the 430 spine and you're shooting, say you're shooting the bow at 60 pounds because that's right in between what, you know, what you've told me for, for your range here. And when you shoot that arrow, it works pretty good. And then you take that same arrow and you put, say you go from a 100 grain point to a 120 point, and all of a sudden it, it shoots a lot better. Um, then what that's telling you is the more you weaken that shaft, the more that it's kind of liking the direct combination with the bow that you're shooting. So at that point, we, what you could do is now you have the option to either shoot the 120 grain point or if you wanted the extra speed and you really preferred shooting a 100 grain point, at least that has told you that because the bow, the arrow is really wanting 
uh, or because the bow is wanting that weaker spine, then what you could do is you could increase the poundage on your bow about three pounds and you could put the hundred grain points back into that same arrow and you're going to find that you're going to get the same grouping results only now you're shooting the point weight that you might have desired in the first place and you're going to obviously in that scenario you're going to get more speed because you've shot more weight as well um, so for all you out there who are considering sending me a question about what arrow you should shoot um, just remember, I'm probably going to give you a very general response of either one, listen to this podcast, or two, what does the chart tell you? Because I'm not going to do, unless you're a 31-inch, 60-pound shooter as a target archer, which is exactly what I am, 31 and a quarter, 60 pounds, or a 31-inch, 70-pound uh, shooter as a hunter, unless that is your exact specs then I'm not going to be able to tell you exactly how to adjust an arrow because the only thing that I've built a broad knowledge on when it comes to actual what arrow I need is going to be exactly at those specifications otherwise I'm just going to refer right to the chart the same as you can okay my next question here is from Andy May and uh, he says, should my bow shoulder be slightly pushed out away from my spine or should it be more compressed into my body? Um, both of them feel comfortable to me, uh, but there is about a one inch difference, which is definitely true. Um, and he says right now he compresses his shoulder and it helps him stabilize the bow a little bit more. Um, what is the correct way, he says. Well, I'm a big believer in being a dynamic archer that pulls through the shot the same as what Olympic recurve archery teaches us. You know, I believe in being able to, you know, pull back hard against the cam and almost pull through the wall. And as the shot executes, you're able to continue to follow through and pull back through the shot. Now, if your front shoulder is really compressed, um, what you'll find is you're not going to really have that range because just like what I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, when your front scapula is compressed back and then you draw your bow back, then your rear scapula also moves closer to your spine and ultimately those two end up touching one another. And that's when your front shoulder is in a compressed position. You almost lock your two scapulas and all the muscle mass, the rhomboids and the traps that are between those two you almost just squish all that stuff together but it really doesn't give you any type of range of motion to be able to pull through your shot so you will hold steadier but what I found as an archer is consistency is way higher when you are pulling through your shot and having a dynamic shot versus a static shot. Um, there's very, very few archers out there that can hold, that can compress their front shoulder and just hold super still and manipulate a release until it fires perfectly and ones that can do it the same every time. 
I can tell you that there are people that can do it. You know, Chris White, uh, he's one of them. Uh, I've shot with Chris many years. Chris and I are almost equal in height and probably equal in wingspan, but yet Chris shoots um, about a, I think he shoots about a two-inch shorter draw length than I do, or, or an inch and a half for sure. And it's all because of the front shoulder positioning. Chris really is a is a big believer in aiming a bow. He wants a bow that sits perfectly still, and then he shoots a super light trigger, many of which he always stole off me when I had one that was light and felt good. Uh, but, yeah, he shoots a light trigger, and he'll pull back, he'll settle the pin, and try to hold it perfectly still, and then just almost wait on the release to fire. Uh, Rio Wild shoots the same way, very compressed front end, but he is extremely good at manipulating his release until it fires, and it's extremely repetitive. The problem is there's only one Chris White, there's only one Rio Wild, um, in my opinion. You know, when when we look at archers in general, you look at the people like um, Erica Jones, Braden Gillantine, uh, you look at Peter Elzinga, um, you know, myself, Dave Cousins, um, you know, you look at these archers and what you'll find is uh, they've got a front shoulder that is more down and forward. It allows them to pull through, you know, regardless of whether they're shooting a hinge release, a trigger release, really, you could even give them a wrist strap release, but they have the ability to pull through their shot. And you'll notice that the bow goes forward and the release hand comes back. It's not like once they shoot, it's just stop. You know, a lot of the shooters that shoot with that compressed front end, once the bow goes off, I mean, everything's almost dead because they're not really pulling through the shot and allowing the bow to freely go forward. So my belief is that the correct way is having your shoulder down and forward. Um, It'll allow you to shoot a little bit longer draw length. You won't be as stable in the front end, you'll have a little bit more movement. But what I can tell you is even though I have more movement, I have way more consistency. Um, you have a lot more of the arrows where you kind of, when it goes off, you might think, uh Oh, that's off the gold. And then you look down there and it, it's right dead in the center. And it's because as your body is, is naturally having that little swaying movement, it's always returning back to center. So as you execute, and as long as you're dynamic through that pull, then that pin's going to return back to center as as the arrow's clearing the bow. It's just like with the Olympic-style recurve shooters. You know, they're shooting clickers. They're continually pulling, pulling, pulling through the bow until they click and they fire. You know, that clicker is critical for several reasons. It's important because, one, it tells them that it's keep that their posture is the same every time if your front shoulder is all of a sudden compressed what you'll find is they'll pull back and even though they feel like they're pulling super hard through the bow if their front shoulders collapse they never get to the arrow to actually pass the clicker and then you'll see them let down and reset their shot all over again so 
that front clicker also teaches them to draw to the same exact draw length every time, which is pretty critical for a recurve bow because obviously the further you pull it back, the more poundage you get. So by them pulling to the exact same length every time and then letting go, they're also able to be super consistent on the amount of speed, uh, the amount of draw weight, and also the length of their pull. And you'll see that, you know, these Olympic shooters, a lot of them are shooting, you know, just a circle as their aiming device. They're actually looking through that circle and just looking at the center of the target. And they're not totally still. They're moving around, but they're just looking through that, through that hoop, and they're just allowing their natural floating motion to occur as they continue to be super dynamic in the back half until they hear that click and then they're executing their shot and it's super super uh repetitive it's super accurate and it's proven now can you be the next chris white or rio uh i'm not going to tell you you can't but i can tell you that uh i haven't seen very many people that have duplicated guys like that um, it's extremely difficult unless you have a super strong ability to manipulate a release until it fires and a 100% be patient on a release to sit in the gold, whether it's for 5 seconds or 20 seconds. You have to be able to have enough control on your release to be able to just sit there and let your pin sit perfectly in the middle without a single drop of anticipation. If you can do that, then you can shoot that way. But if you have any type of anxiety or need of, of making the shot happen because you're in that gold, then that is definitely not the way for you to shoot. So... Now that I've covered a, a couple uh, Q&As that I thought uh, were pretty good topics, I'm actually going to um, kind of go off on a few topics of my own. The one thing that I really like about uh, being out on the road, working with archers and working with teams, is that I get to see things that people are struggling with and, um, and maybe even see things that I completely disagree with. And uh, now with the podcast, I've got a platform to where I can I can talk about those things. Um, and a lot of times, my articles that I write, they come from these exact same things. They come from times where I'm working with a student, or I'm working with a national team, and we're addressing problems that people are facing. It gives me um, it gives me good material to put out there. And uh, I actually wrote an article for Bow International, which I mentioned in the last podcast, um, you know, about how, how to continue to, um, I guess, train for archery while you're traveling. And that topic came simply because, you know, like I said, uh, seven or eight flights in 11 days for me, you know, covering 20,000 miles uh, is definitely the type of place where I have to be able to put that to practice. So the first topic I want to talk about is something that one of the, it was a, I think it was a club level coach uh, in Ireland. I was there, uh, gave 
some private lessons for a few of the select guys and then uh and then i gave a huge group presentation and one of the things that i really talked about with this particular group was the same topic that i was just talking about when it came to being able to learn to pull through a shot and find an unanticipated shot within your within your archery I guess within your archery self and you know a lot of people um, they can shoot a back tension release or they can make a surprise shot or they can blank bail shoot perfectly when they're at their house or when they're in their backyard no one's there but then all of a sudden you try to take it to a range or you try to take it to a tournament and you go right back to your old ways of punching the release. Sometimes that's just because you don't have a choice or you don't think you have a choice, I should say. It's because you know, you're know you struggling with that mental hurdle of dealing with target panic. But also at times it comes from what people are, are telling you. And this is, this is actually going to segue into something that I'm going to talk about towards the end of this podcast, something I be, that I believe strongly in. But after this three or four hour seminar that I did talking about the importance of learning how to execute an unanticipated shot, a surprise shot, and talking about how that is the key to archery. At the end of the seminar, uh, one of the archers came up to me and they said, you know, I really, really want to do this. I'm, you know, I keep telling myself that I want to commit to shooting a hinge style release all the time. Um, but you know, my coach really isn't in favor of that. And I was like, what? You're kidding me. And sure enough, the coach was right there and the archer was actually holding uh, my Carter Evolution and the coach said you can shoot that all you want in practice you know or that is what you need to shoot in practice but when when you when we go to a tournament you're shooting you're shooting your trigger and I looked at him and I said well why why do they need to shoot the trigger when they're wanting to learn to execute a shot properly and he said because I want them to be able to shoot the trigger in the wind in case they need to punch it and it's like I don't know I it's times like that where I feel like I just wasted three hours of opening my mouth um I just you know as much as I want to say I like everybody in archery when I hear crap like that it's like okay, what part of what I just talked about don't you get? You know, you have archers that are struggling all the time to shoot scores that are competitive with the rest of the archery community, but yet you're unwilling to change your mindset because you want your archer to still be able to punch the trigger in the wind. You know, all that stuff comes with a price. If you want to if you want to punch a trigger for one arrow during the shoot off, 
or if you want to punch your trigger for one tournament because it's really windy on the last day, then go for it. But I'm here to tell you that you're going to be coming to someone like me fairly soon because you're going to start the early steps of creating a terrible habit. And if you're a student out there who you're, you have a coach and maybe it's a local level coach, maybe it's your, maybe it's your, your main uh, coach for your team. But if you've got a coach that's recommending and almost forcing you in to to being able to punch the trigger or shoot a release that you can punch a trigger during competition or during days where the weather's foul, then you know what? If you really care about yourself and your long-term, uh, I guess your long-term presence in this sport, then you need to take it upon yourself to just separate yourself from that mentality because that mentality is absolutely destructive. No question about it. The next thing uh, I'm going to kind of go off about here is, um, you know, I want to talk a little bit about um, working out. Little, you know, this is something that's super important to me. I, I always, you know, the one thing that I hardly ever miss is, you know, my workouts. A lot of times I'll miss shooting my bow before I miss uh, working out just because I've always found that, that I can, I feel like I can be stronger than the sport of archery. It's one of the few sports where if you're, if you're physically strong, then you can bail yourself, you can bail yourself out of a lot of the hurdles that you'll find in archery. But what really bothers me is when I go to the gym and I see it every single day, I'll see people that come there and I feel bad saying this because it's people that are noticeably out of shape. They're noticeably people that don't look at what they eat. They don't look at, they don't spend time, uh, you know, I guess keeping themselves in a healthy shape. And, you know, they'll go to the gym. A lot of them, you know, I'll see, you can, I can tell they're there for the first time or, you know, maybe it's been a long time since they've been back. And the first thing they do, you know, most guys is going to be to go over and hit the bench press or do curls or squats. Most of the time it's with way more weight than what they should ever do. But the other thing is people that are bigger around their midsection, it's it's almost like I can put money on it that the first thing they do is they come over to like the sit-up style machines, you know, and they, because obviously they want to work on their midsection, so they just start doing like crunches and things on the machines using weight, you know. If you want to reduce your overall size, it's going to take cardio. You know, you need to be able to eat clean, and instead of going in and doing 30 minutes of sit-ups, if you would have got on a treadmill at 4 miles an hour and walked at a fast pace for 30 minutes without stopping, then you are going to totally see yourself start to change. And each week you go in there, Bump that treadmill up like two or three, you know, point two or point three, 
to the point where after three or four weeks, you're at a slow jog. And then eventually after about a month, you're able to actually somewhat run or do the same thing on a bike. But when you go in there and the first thing you do is go to the machines that you start to use resistance training on the area that you're trying to impact, you're totally going at it the wrong way. Um, Sometimes it's just because I think they want to say, I'm working out, but ultimately they really don't want to put in that little extra effort to get a result. And I feel bad because a lot of these people end up getting discouraged. They go in there, they do that for a few weeks, and they say, yeah, I didn't change. Well, it's too bad that someone didn't actually tell them the right thing to happen. You know, the right thing is focus on doing cardio. If you're an archer that's out of shape, the best thing that you can start to do is either swim, which is amazingly good for building not only cardio, if you're, I'm not talking floating around like you're on vacation. I'm talking get in there and start swimming some laps. Get to where you can just get in the water, and even if it's slow, if you can swim for 30 minutes without stopping, that's going to be critical. You're going to really start to see yourself change, and you're going to put yourself into a position where then you can start doing some types of weight training and resistance training to then also start to tone your muscles, and you're going to see a big improvement from it. The same goes with running. You know, go out, start if you're really out of shape, start, you know, with just real fast walking. You know, maybe the first time you can only do it for 15 minutes, but ultimately make a goal of doing it for 30 minutes without stopping, regardless of the pace. Once you can do that, then make it a goal to slightly increase your pace each and every time. The last thing is going to be you need to do a simple step. This can help anybody, and it's make more effort in your everyday tasks. For example, you know, when you go and park at the grocery store, don't park in the closest row. Park at the end of the parking lot and walk into the store. And when you do it, walk with a purpose. You know, I remember one time I was at work and we had a long building and we had an employee there that their job was actually picking parts for the bow builders. Their job was to, when the bow builder needed a cam, they were supposed to get a cam or get the order, what the bow builder needed, and he had to walk about 150 yards down the building, pull the part, and then walk back and give it to the bow builder. This prevented the bow builders from having an abundance of cams in front of them. I remember one time I left my office, and I actually walked past this guy, and I was, you know, I was trying, I always try to walk at a fast pace. I went by this person, went down to the other end of the building, started to go up the stairs towards another office, and then I realized I forgot something. So I went back to my office, grabbed a piece of paper off my desk, and then walked back the entire length of that. And I and he was just getting to the same point that I had already been twice. And I remember looking and I'm like, do you realize I just passed you two times and I was still at a walking pace it's like put a little bit of spring in your step and make a little bit more effort in your everyday tasks and you're going to start to get in better shape the last thing as well 
I said the last thing a minute ago, but I got one more last thing for you. Learn to take your phones and put them in airplane mode when you're practicing or when you're at the gym. Because it's easy to get distracted on Instagram, Facebook, text, someone calls you, your phone dings because there's an email. The best thing is go off the grid for 30 to 45 minutes and do your workouts or do your practice time. It'll make the quality of both of those so much better. You'll be amazed. Now, the last thing here is, you know, one of the things that I try to do when I travel is I really like to, uh, I like to get new books for when I'm on the planes. I'm not much of a reader. I hardly ever read a book cover to cover. I might not have ever read one cover to cover. Um, but I do like to read certain things at times. And, you know, several podcasts ago, one of my guests was a good friend of mine, Frank Zane, um, former Mr. Olympia. He's actually my, uh, my fitness coach. And, uh, you know, in his book, he's he's got a new book called Let's Grow. And he actually sent me a copy of it. And I've been working through this book. And even though I know Frank and him and I have talked about so many things over the last 10 years together, it's still amazing to me when someone sits down, someone that's good and really knows their business, and they write things that can impact people. And... I read something here from him that I'd like to share with you guys. And this, again, this is out of Frank Sane's new book, Let's Grow. It's mainly a book that's, you know, about fitness, um, you know, changing changing your fitness. It's not, it's not just a bodybuilding book. It's about everything, including, you know, the mental side, your, your, uh, your training, as well as your diet. But, um, you know, there's an important thing in here that kind of, piggybacks what I was talking about when it comes to um, people that are dealing with target panic or learning to execute shots, people that are kind of stuck in the rut of feeling like, um, for example, I get people that say, why is it I can never, you know, I can never shoot um, the bottom spot with a 10, you know, it just seems like I always shoot a nine on the bottom spot or people that say my first arrow is always out. Um, or I can never, um, shoot a back tension release in the wind, or I can never shoot a Carter evolution during a tournament. You know, that kind of talk is always dispowering. And I tell them that, but Frank wrote something here that I think is worth me reading to you guys because this supports so many of the things that I've taught to so many students out there. And this topic is, um, the subhead is actually, what you say is what you get. And Frank says, your speech can become self a self-fulfilling prophecy. The truth is we shape our lives, invent our future, our bodies, and our attitudes by what we think, what we say, and what we do. Everybody knows how challenging it is to build your body, so why put obstacles in your way? And I'm gonna, I want you guys to relate this to archery, not necessarily building your body. I want you to relate this to topics like 
target panic and small little things that you have, maybe tournament pressures, but all those little obstacles that you feel like you, the listener right now, might have. So Frank goes on to say, I'm sure, I'm sure you've heard the saying, talk is cheap. And I don't agree with it myself because I know that talk is free. It doesn't cost you anything to say whatever you want, but there are always consequences to what you say. You may end up paying dearly for those sayings in the long run. Making certain kinds of talk is actually extremely expensive. Yes, what you can say can literally come true. Say it often enough, mindlessly, over and over again, and you create it, and you get to experience it. It's yours now. You may not want what you got, but you've been asking for it. Your body hears every word you say, and so do other people. Powerless speech, statements that begin with the prefix, that makes me, tells the world that you have no power on your own and there's something in the universe that compels you to behave as you do. Push a button and you get an automatic reaction. The fact is that nothing makes you do anything. You make a decision consciously or unconsciously. If your decisions are made unconsciously, as in the case of a long-established bad habit, they will seem to be out of your control as they are as long as you, and they are as long as you continue to speak as if you are not responsible for your own fate. Intention always precedes action. I want you guys to mull on that as we wrap up this last podcast because for those of you out there who continue to say, I can't beat this guy. I can't shoot good on spots. I don't know how to do 3D. I can never shoot uphill. I never seem to be able to shoot 10s when I'm aiming downhill. This guy always beats me. This girl always seems to do better. All those types of things are weakening statements that inevitably are going to become reality. Because you were doing that to yourself. So I just want to let you mull on that. And I also want to thank all you guys once again and gals for listening to another podcast. Make sure that um, you guys uh, try to support the different things that you see that I'm doing. It helps me a tremendous amount when you send... Uh, emails in to the companies that I represent like Hoyt and Easton and Under Armour um, and you let them know exactly what you think I'm doing for the world of archery makes a huge difference because without those people there's no way that I could continue to be an archer at least professionally so thanks again everybody and uh, make sure you tune in another time as well as make sure you share Click the share button and let people know about these podcasts. Thanks, everybody, and shoot straight. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing. knockonarchery.com